0: Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christina, and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. What would you pick?
1: Uh, I picked a story by Flannery O'Connor called Good Country People. This morning when the girl came in, Mrs. Freeman was on caramay. She thrown up four times after supper, she said, and was up the night after three o'clock. Yesterday, she didn't do nothing but ramble in the bureau drawer. All she did, stand up there and see what she could run up on. She's got to eat, Mrs. Hopewell muttered, sipping her coffee, while she watched Joy's back at the stove. She was wondering what the child had said to the Bible salesman. She could not imagine what kind of a conversation she could possibly have had with him. He was a tall, gaunt, hatless youth who had called yesterday to sell them a Bible. He had appeared at the door carrying a large black suitcase that weighted him so heavily on one side that he had to brace himself against the door-facing. He seemed on the point of collapse, but he said in a cheerful voice, "'Good morning, Mrs. Cedars,' and set the suitcase down on the mat. He was not a bad-looking young man, though he had on a bright blue suit and yellow socks that were not pulled up far enough. He had prominent face bones and a streak of sticky-looking brown hair falling across his forehead." "'I'm Mrs. Hopewell,' she said. "'Oh,' he said, pretending to look puzzled, but with his eyes sparkling. "'I saw it said the Cedars on the mailbox, so I thought you was Mrs. Cedars.' And he burst out in a pleasant laugh. He picked up the satchel, and under cover of a pant, he fell forward into her hall. It was rather as if the suitcase had moved first, jerking him after it. "'Mrs. Hopewell,' he said, and grabbed her hand. "'I hope you are well.' And he laughed again, and then all at once, his face sobered completely. He paused and gave her a straight, earnest look and said, "'Lady, I've come to speak of serious things.' "'Well, come in,' she muttered, none too pleased, because her dinner was almost ready. He came into the parlor and sat down on the edge of a straight chair and put the suitcase between his feet and glanced around the room as if he were sizing her up by it. Her silver gleamed on the two sideboards. She decided he had never been in a room as elegant as this. "'Mrs. Hopewell,' he began, using her name in a way that sounded almost intimate. "'I know you believe in Christian service.' Well, yes, she murmured. I know, he said in pause, looking very wise with his head cocked on one side, that you're a good woman. Friends have told me. Mrs. Hopewell never liked to be taken for a fool. What are you selling? she asked bibles the young man said and his eye raced around the room before he added i see you have no family bible in your parlor i see that is the one lack you got mrs hopewell could not say my daughter is an atheist and won't let me keep the bible in the parlor she said stiffening slightly i keep my bible by my bedside this was not the truth it was in the attic somewhere lady he said the word of god ought to be in the parlor Well, I think that's a matter of taste, she began. I think, lady, he said, for a Christian, the word of God ought to be in every room in the house besides in his heart. I know you're a Christian because I can see it in every line of your face. She stood up and said, well, young man, I don't want to buy a Bible and I smell my dinner burning. He didn't get up. He began to twist his hands and looking down at them, he said softly, well, lady, I'll tell you the truth not many people want to buy one nowadays And besides i know i'm real simple i don't know how to say a thing but to say it i'm just a country boy he glanced up into her unfriendly face people like you don't like to fool with country people like me why she cried good country people are the salt of the earth besides we all have different ways of doing it takes all kinds to make the world go round that's life," you said. A mouthful," he said. "Why? I think there aren't enough good country people in the world," she said, stirred. "I think that's what's wrong with it." His face had brightened. "I didn't introduce myself," he said. "I'm Manly Pointer from out in the country around Willoughby. Not even from a place, just from near a place."
0: So, what made you pick this story?
1: Well, I'm just thinking about stories, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, we should do another Flannery <laughs> O'Connor. And then this particular Flannery O'Connor story, I remember when I first read it, I didn't know what to do with it. I just kind of finished it and was like, okay, and then uh, moved on. So I thought, let's do that one.
0: (laughs) That's funny. When you started reading from that section, that was like one of the first things that I started making like feverish notes on in this story was like that part where she was thinking back to what happened that day. And I was like, if this was submitted to our modern day workshop, I would have been like, why don't we start chronologically why did not we start with that visit i was so annoyed that they were like let me think back on this thing that is the crux of the rest of it you know i didn't like that because until that point too i was like whose story is this i just had no clue i was going
1: to actually comment on that as like this is an interesting structure like i started reading at that particular point because the place where i started was it said this morning when the girl came in is the beginning of the main scene and the girl in there is joy holga the name changes depending on point of view which is an interesting thing we could talk about later. But that's like the beginning of her scene. But it's right now it's from uh, her mother's point of view. That's why it's the girl. Right. But everything that comes before that is kind of background. But the background is filling in who these characters are, who Holga Joy is, who Mrs. Freeman is, and who Mrs. Hopewell is. And the way in which it's done is by repeatedly bringing to mind every morning they meet together, the three of them in the kitchen. Mrs. Yes. Hopewell makes breakfast, Holga... Joy comes downstairs and Mrs. Freeman comes over to visit with them and they they chat, they talk, they have breakfast. And over and over right. and over again, we get Mrs. Freeman comes over to the kitchen. Joy comes down the stairs. She's clumping on her false leg. And then we get those <laughs> images over and over again while we're getting the backstory. So it's like, even though we're starting with backstory, we're starting with the scene. Right. In a, in a weird way. So by the time we get to the scene, it's totally familiar. We know exactly what, where we are. And then we get a paragraph of that scene and then we jump backwards to the previous day, which sets up what the scene is going to be about. Cause then when we come back to the present scene, we get Joy's point or Halga's point of view. And she is waiting for the meeting that she arranged with the Bible salesman. He was going to come back and she was going to meet him at 10. So like the current moment of the story is coming downstairs to the kitchen, waiting for 10 o'clock when she's going to meet the Bible salesman and then going off and meeting him. And then what happens after that? And everything else is kind of woven into that scene. So it's a little bit like the kind of structure we talked about when we talked about with Snow and the Black Phone, where it starts off in the main scene, goes to backstory, and then continues the main scene. Except this one starts with backstory. The backstory sets up the main scene. and We get pieces of the main scene before we get to it so that it's familiar to us. And then it goes on from there which is um right really cool twist on it on that structure i thought when i was reading it or when
0: i was reflecting on it i see like you explain it like how it works and why it's helpful it was just so confusing for me i was like <laughs> wait like why do we got to tell it this way couldn't it have been a typical morning you could have established pretty quickly this is a typical morning this is our routine today though the bible guy came and knowing all of this from our 20 minute conversation before he arrived this is what I'm thinking, I get how and why it was done. And then also I read like criticism about this afterwards because I was like, I think I get particularly stuck on stories that are like the overall emotional effect for me was fear. I wasn't reading this and thinking to myself, like, what's the lesson? I was like reading it and thinking to myself, like, that was scary. Like my whole predominant, like feeling was like suspense. You're scared. But the structure made more sense to me after reading like most of the criticism, which talks about how every character in this book is a hypocrite. And so the only way that you can like really appreciate a hypocrite is if you do do this point of view switching you could only establish a hypocrite if you get in their head and then hear also like what they say to someone you hear what people say to each other all the time you know that like other characters think of each other as hypocrites but like until you actually are in that person's head it's not as obvious or like convincing maybe yeah
1: it's a it's an interesting theme to work around the idea of individual hypocrisies yeah you do have to get different points of view on them because you know like uh the bible salesman mrs hopewell never saw that aspect of him even when he's walking away having left her daughter and the top of the barn. She's like, ah, there he goes. What a simple, good country person. Yes. I mean, while we know, and the dramatic irony of it is, we know he just uh, revealed himself. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the backstory does establish all that. Like everything that kind of like leads up to that first scene sets up the, those three characters into which this Bible salesman is going to be introduced and their like their perspectives on things. their the way in which they yeah. uh, intersect in that kitchen.
0: I think the other thing that's key about this is like maybe you could establish who a hypocrite is without being in their head where like they say they're going to do something that they don't or like their actions are contradictory for themselves and other characters. Like that could all be established without being in their head. But I think what was key here too was that they're not only hypocrites, but they all have personal thoughts and judgments about the other characters that they don't voice. And yes. that was what was key. And there is, after reading this, like criticism, like I said, I, I don't pick up on this on my own. But afterwards, I'm like, okay, I totally see what she's doing here. She's putting everyone on the moral high ground for like very, very, very different reasons. While simultaneously, all these people are like pretty horrific to each other and are also like hypocritical in the sense that like they excuse some of their own behaviors, but still think that they're better than these other people that do or don't do the same thing. You know, so we've got this girl at the center who says she's an atheist. And and obviously has a chip on her shoulder because she's missing her leg (laughs) but she's around here like she's like clunking around pretending that she's the best because she doesn't buy into this like what she couches is like religious hypocrisy she sees all these people as like being religious but really not good people and so when she's like hanging out with this country boy though she does the thing where she like assumes that he's also not going to hurt her it was it's weird she wanted to think the best of him but not of her relatives and then uh, she gets her ass handed to her I think what's interesting too here is like he He's the villain, but he's the only one that showed his two colors the whole story
1: yeah yeah she even Holga was trying to hide her intentions from him when she was when we understood what they were but she was not being forthcoming
0: yeah she's gonna go home and she she's gonna like probably try to play it off like she didn't fall victim to something but in her head she's also gonna feel like a victim when really yeah she didn't have true intentions she's not necessarily this perfect person Uh, he didn't prey on a really really good girl like she might be crippled but that doesn't make her inherently good
1: there's a tragedy in the middle of it too because she she she's always on guard probably part of her character's like guardedness but he manages the last moment before he reveals who he his true intentions to get past her guard and she's like Well, maybe maybe this is different than i think it is maybe this is something real
0: right but then you know when the mask is off he full-blown tells her he like he doesn't pretend to be this good country boy when he's leaving her high and dry then the mask is off and then he's fine to be like yeah i screwed you i've screwed a lot of people and you fell for it because you think i'm a bible thumper like you're the idiot so he's not over here like uh saying you're all hypocrites and i'm not that's not the point but it is like kind of funny that he does it for a purpose and everyone else just like walks around acting like they're the best person in the, they're the main character they're without fault or flaws and everyone else is an asshole which is a really shitty way to live are you
1: looking for a section well i keep thinking about the way you talked about not liking the way it began like with that backstory then finally like i didn't mind the way
0: it began i just when they launched into like she was thinking about what happened and then it went into full scene that's when i got annoyed
1: oh you mean after they came to the present moment in the kitchen and then she's like i wonder what she said and then it jumped back to yesterday
0: yeah i was like what are we doing
1: Well, what I was going to mention was uh, that it's an interesting place to start because on the surface, Mrs. Freeman doesn't seem to take a lot of space in this story, but it starts and ends with Mrs. Freeman. Yeah. Besides the neutral expression that she wore when she was alone, Mrs. Freeman had two others, forward and reverse, that she used for all her human dealings. And then the last paragraph starts with Mrs. Freeman's gaze drove forward, kind of referring back to that, you know, she only has forward yeah. and reverse in her outlook. And there's other visual metaphors with her, like uh is this Hulga's point of view. She's thinking about Mrs. Freeman. It was as if Mrs. Freeman's beady, steel-pointed eyes had penetrated far enough behind her face to reach some secret fact. So she's projecting a kind of like discernment to Mrs. Right. Freeman which the story kind of reveals is not necessarily there right but for a story that's so wrapped up in the the relationship between mrs hopewell and her daughter joy Hulga, and then this bible salesman mrs freeman seems extraneous and yet is who we begin and end with
0: yeah the only like thought i could have on well were you gonna say like why you think that's effective or are you marveling at it or I'm are you a little marveling at
1: it i don't i don't yeah. necessarily i haven't thought thought a lot about why but the only thing i could think of is this she represents Uh, because they think of her as having this vision this like discernment that they can look at her as kind of like a judge on oh sure who they are
0: yeah well like so we don't know based on where this story ends how Hulk is going to play this off right i think we have good guesses like she's going to have to explain something about the leg i imagine those are not easy to come by who knows how long she's going to be out there you know she'll probably figure it out i think the story kind of ends On a note where Holga, what we know about her is that she's going to try her best to save face. And then we've got Mrs. Freeman here who, like you said, we're back in her head kind of here at the end. And what she's saying is like more criticism of this Bible guy. She's like, I'm going to read it why that looks like that nice doll young man that tried to sell me a bible yesterday Mrs. Hopewell said squinting he must have been selling them to the negroes back in there he was so simple she said but I guess the world would be better off if we were all that simple Mrs. Freeman's gaze drove forward and just touched him before he disappeared under the hill then she returned her attention to the evil smelling onion shoot she was lifting from the ground some can't be that simple she said I know I never could so they're still criticizing this guy now for they say being so simple so straightforward just a good Bible thumper like they're not necessarily even going to be privy to the grander feel based on how Holga plays this off right they might go on thinking that there are some people in this world who are so simple so stupid so good so dull whatever it is like so simple minded that they don't even have an interior life that's of interest they don't have like a full personhood because they are face value humans when really he was the master manipulator of all the people in the story who think that they have this rich interior monologue you know i'm the main character i'm the i'm the smartest one here i'm the most important one here i'm the only one that can see everyone for who they are he was the only one that actually achieved that he pulled one over on all of them successfully he's the only one everyone else i think is kind of thinking to themselves like holg is an asshole Freeman's a jerk I think they all have opinions about each other that might be more spot on than what they thought of this guy and he probably thinks they're all dull he's like these are all straightforward people in the sense that they are going to be easily played by this character that I'm going to put on they're going to think the worst of me
1: I like the alternate story from his point of view that could have the same name good country people put a totally different spin on it based on what you just said about uh, (laughs) these are all straightforward people
0: yeah, so I guess what we has, we've we established from this episode would be that these perspectives that we're able to kind of like see everyone's interior thoughts at some point, except for his, you know, really does work to establish this whole theme of feeling high and mighty, right? You can't get that sense as well as you might if you're not in someone someone's head.
1: On the topic of, you know, getting perspectives on things, I wanted to mention this, the way in which she sets up the head hopping. This is such a Flannery O'Connor kind of thing to do where she just she has that toolbox of things that fiction can do and she knows exactly how to deploy them. Right. It's almost too like if you're looking for them they're they're like so obvious, but they're so yes. subtle when you're reading them that you don't necessarily pay attention to them. So one of the things she does is okay so she's uh she's in mrs hopewell's head Ms. mrs hopewell excused this attitude talking about her daughter's attitude because of the leg which had been shot off in a honey accident and then throughout this um she's going thinking about her daughter then she says her name was really joy but as soon as she was 21 and away from home she had had it legally changed mrs hopewell was certain this is still in mrs hopewell's head right mrs hopewell was certain that she had thought and thought until she had hit upon the ugliest name in any language Then she had gone and had the beautiful name Joy changed without telling her mother until after she had done it. Her legal name was Holga. When Mrs. Hopewell thought the name Holga, she thought of the broad, blank hull of a battleship. She would not use it. She continued to call her Joy, to which the girl responded, but in a purely mechanical way. So we're totally in in Mrs. Hopewell's head there. And she's been referring to her daughter as Joy, like for what, four or five pages by now. And suddenly the next paragraph starts, Holga had learned to tolerate Mrs. Freeman we've jumped perspectives and Flannery Connor has set us up to understand that shift in perspectives by just changing that name with everyone everything that had just gone before which sets up both characters right. it's it's like it's doing five things at once and one of those things is setting us up for this POV change right which is like I said it's such an obvious way to do it right to have one character refer to one, another character by one name and that character refer to themselves by a different name so you know who's thinking about what just by the name but yeah. she does it inside such a like smooth easy way you don't even notice sure. it as as like yeah. this me- the mechanics of fiction yeah yeah
0: exactly yeah. exactly yeah i can't think of any other examples like that off the top of my head but i know that we've read stories like that or even like in our workshop seen stories where you know like a mom calls it's, it's usually a mother right or a parent yeah I call you this, but then like you grow up and you assign yourself like a nickname or you identify some different way. And I'm still, I'm still on principle going to call you this. And yeah, it is a really strong, like, uh, it could be a real dynamic, but it's also a very strong device. Yeah. The,
1: um, it's like, you know, Mr. Anderson is one person would call somebody that and the other person calls them, you know, whatever their actual first name.
0: Pete. okay so do you
1: have a takeaway i don't know the, my takeaway was going to be one of three things one of them was the structure that i talked about one of them was the pov thing I talked about.
0: <laughs> <Okay>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the third one was just uh which i didn't manage to talk about but i guess i can make it my takeaway is during this opening section which is like setting up that first scene yeah the present moment of narration scene that starts it as them in the kitchen it's all go waiting for yeah. 10 o'clock. But everything that precedes that is setting up the characters, but using that recurring meeting in the kitchen as the means of doing it. Right. So, but even though it's all backstory, even though it's all told in this like habitual sense of like every morning she would come to the back door, every morning she would clomp down the stairs. Every morning she would do this. We get these little moments of detail. So the first paragraph ends with she would stand there talking mm-hmm. about Mrs. Freeman. Mrs. Freeman could never be brought to admit herself wrong at any point. She would stand there, and if she could be brought to say anything, it was something like, well, I wouldn't have said it was, and I wouldn't have said it wasn't. Or, letting her gaze range over the top kitchen shelf where there was an assortment of dusty bottles, she might remark, I see you ain't ate many of them figs you put up last summer. That is a really concrete, specific moment which is presented within this you know habitual scene it doesn't happen every morning that she said talks about the figs right it's right. just one time within the series of events that were, are being summarized here she talked about the figs and it's being used as an example right. and it's those specific concrete moments used as examples used as uh to kind of flesh out the summary of habitual events yeah. that i think are often missing in some of the work we would talk about in the workshop this is what makes it breathe this is what enlivens it and um if you're gonna if you're gonna yeah particular but not just like it can't be vague it has to be specific and concrete and has to spell out a moment right
0: right where like maybe like a less experienced writer would have these characters having a conversation that we get the sense they have every morning or that they've had you know that just in general that they do this every day maybe they would like quickly jump ahead to say that I'm doing this to establish that this is a habit versus like letting us see a full example that is so mundane that we know it's a habit.
1: Well, it'd be like the difference between saying every morning she would make the coffee and every morning Mrs. Freeman would hold her cup out and every morning Mrs. Hopewell would turn and pour coffee into the cup. That's not a specific concrete moment within the series of, of events. You talk about the one where Mrs. Hopewell looks past the coffee and makes a comment about something like the figs. The, right. one, the, the one time that Holga had to stop on the stairs in order to adjust her leg or something or uh, the moment that the morning there were no eggs uh-huh. or whatever it is. You find right. like a very specific moment that doesn't reoccur. It's not something that happens every morning, but it's just it helps paint the picture of, of these mornings, the kind of things that happen.
0: Yeah. And in, in pointing out what is unique about that morning, you can like establish that this is out of the norm, but the rest is.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be like this leads into a specific morning but the figs thing didn't happen on that specific morning it's just a specific moment from the series of moments that happened before
0: right and whether or not you're establishing a morning routine to tell us about a unusual morning later it can still do so much to like establish characters Mm -hmm. and things
1: yes exactly
0: for us to know that this is their dynamic and it's regular and normal and they're all familiar with it yeah that's I think that's good that's a good takeaway because that's a pretty specific thing that we probably don't all realize that we do, but we probably do pretty often, right? Yeah. If we're trying to establish something, it's the quickest way to do it is to just tell you flat out that this is recurring. <laughs> and we always yeah. think that we're doing it in a way that's like maybe literary in the sense that we're like instead of saying this happened every morning, we might like, be a little more creative but it's still not as effective as showing it because it makes it memorable yeah
1: yeah and this that particular example is being used not just yes. nec- not only to show the dynamics of the scene that reoccurs right. but to explore the kind of character that mrs freeman is which is the point of yes, the old the whole extended
0: yes. area of the thing yeah like this is a good anecdote about figs and i'll tell you a little bit more about her <laughs> That's right, <laughs> it's very simple, yes. I really don't have like a takeaway, except that what I like kind of found myself commenting on throughout this is the idea that I knew from the way that they were talking about this Bible guy that like something's not right with him, but I didn't know what it was going to be because they none of them necessarily had thoughts that he had bad intentions, but they were all preoccupied by this conversation, right? So, like, you kind of know that this is a point of the story is like whatever this guy's going to do. I can't really remember if they explicitly stated this, but it felt to me like the assumption was like whole. Olga is lame, literally, and figuratively like she sucks they all hate her like she's got a stump of a leg and she's like a bump of a log of a person she's negative and boring like she only took care of herself all this kind of crap so like they just assume that this boy has like either he does have bad intentions or like he doesn't and they're confounded by that because why would you like this girl you're a good bible boy like what what are you doing with this chick you know so like their doubts put suspicion in the reader's mind so I'm reading this story and then from what I know about Flanders and cutter waiting for horrific like triple homicide <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop you know throughout this and i'm still i was still like i said taken aback by like what it actually was i don't know i know i've said this like as a takeaway before in terms of like how to build suspense but like one of the ways i think she does it here is to show us other characters having suspicions like with her other one like uh, a good man is hard to find she told us from the beginning that there is a murderer on the loose that was enough to like prick your spidey senses but here she wasn't like there's a pervert on the loose which one is it (laughs) the only thing she did was say was show us all these characters having bad thoughts about other characters like what's his game and then I'm like yeah what is his game just in hindsight that's like an interesting way to do it maybe the next time you have a character in a story that like does have bad intentions whether or not the character that suspects it ever is the one to discover it, it's cool to like plant the seed in my mind by, you know, having a character think it or wonder it, even in passing. Because if I'm paying attention as the reader, then I'm remembering that.
1: Yeah, so the other story A Good Man is Hard to Find, like you said, it started off with discussion of the murderer, and then concerns and worry about the murderer kind of drove what they did. So it was just a constant. right Then this one's it's called Good Country People, and then the thing that they keep coming back to is like what is a good country person? Person. Like oh he's a good country person. They're right. a good country person. This then they talk about it. That's like in their vocabulary and in their uh, conversations. It's like oh they're just good country people and they say it what, like five or six times in various ways it comes up so the fact that that is more or less a theme of what's happening sets our minds like especially with the uh, we can see like oh these people aren't quite the way they seem like what are they getting at you know that's going to uh, get us spinning it doesn't have to be a murderer right it could be the concept of what's good <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly um it wasn't as obvious here but it still had the effect of me paying attention to it you know yeah like when, when your character pays attention to something i'm gonna pay attention to it so a lot of times when we talk about like specific details we usually talk about how they're misplaced in terms of like setting up an expectation that doesn't come to fruition and here it's like they were wrong about their assumption about this guy they assumed he was good countryman through and through but they're still kind of wondering why he would care about this girl so like i still i'm paying attention because even if they're wrong i'm like they're spending a lot time thinking about this so i am that's what i'm going to focus on yeah so yeah that's what set up my expectation is they're worried about this boy so i am too
1: i think you can use that and everything else we said to build a cool story when the same kind of
0: framework right right (laughs) all right well thanks guys if you enjoyed this episode consider joining our patreon your support helps us keep the show running find out more at patreon.com slash why is this good podcast and for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.